Welcome to Encounter. We want nothing more than to help you find and follow Jesus. If you're a college student in Central Illinois, join us Monday nights, ISU's campus. We'd love to see you there. Let me, uh, let me pray and dive in tonight. Uh, Jesus, thank you for this specific group. Not a, this isn't a crowd. Uh, you are so familiar with every soul in this space. And we've been praying tonight, Jesus, that you'd bring the right people to hear the message you want to hear into, the, into this room. And so I don't believe there is a person that's here by accident. Don't believe that. I believe that you have business to do with every person in the room. So I pray it wouldn't be my words, Christ. I pray that they be your words through your word. Uh, that you would bring across tonight. And Holy Spirit, you'd meet with each person who came into this space in a unique way. Thank you for them, made in your image. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, I want to start off tonight by doing a little bit, for if you've been around in previous years, this is something you sort of know. If you're new this year, you've seen these weird icons that I have on the screen sometimes when I'm teaching. And I want, I've been, I've been waiting because we've had other stuff to do so far this year, but tonight it bears with what I'm teaching on. And so I want to talk a little bit about why I use these. I sort of grew up around church, you guys. Like, I, church was in my world, and the Bible was in my world, but I didn't, my, like, my dad's not a follower of Jesus. I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, um, and so I was kind of around the Bible, but kind of not, and so I did not grow, some of you grew up in those spaces where you memorized, I, I've, I have never learned that song that has all the books of the Bible in it. Some of you memorized that when you were like age six, and you still sing it to yourself when you're trying to figure out where something is at, okay? I never did that, so even when I hit college age, and I was interested in Jesus and trying to figure some things out in the Christian life, I didn't know where stuff was at in the Bible. I didn't really understand what the Bible was or what, like, the, the, even the idea that there was a larger story that exists in the Bible, which, by the way, is 66 different books all strung together that go throughout millennia they cover. And so these icons, when I teach, I use these for you because I think they would have been helpful for me, okay? And I look at that, and I think for those of you especially who might not be quite as familiar with the Bible, it gives you some context for where in the world we're talking about. Because sometimes, I mean, I, I love jumping between Old Testament and New Testament, and I kind of want you to be able to see that as we go. So very quickly, here's what these icons mean. They just tell the story as we proceed through Scripture. In the very beginning, we have God. I mean, that's Genesis 1-1, and it's not His beginning. It's our beginning. In the beginning, God. Those are the first words of the Bible. And the idea is that He pre-existed that beginning, that He stands outside time and space, that time itself is a creation of His. And there's just that beautiful idea that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all pre-exist this creation. And he doesn't just create the world, he creates us. Man and woman, he creates us. We have this identity, and it says that we, we resemble him, that we're image bearers of his, that we look like him. We're made like him. And so human beings have this incredible capacity to be like God. We have his creativity and his wisdom. It's, it's, it's beautiful. He, he implants that in us, gives that to us as a gift. We are different than all of the rest of creation that way, that we have, these, we have souls, and we're made to look like Him. But if you know the story, that doesn't last long in Genesis. We very quickly get to Genesis 3, okay, the scary skull, which is just this idea that, that creation takes a turn. What was good and beautiful, I mean, we were human and perfect up until this point. But we choose against God, humanity does, and we walk away from Him. And in that, all of creation is fractured. 
Now, you guys, I, this isn't the sermon I'm preaching tonight, but I just, I have to say this. Part of what I love about the teaching of Christianity is that this idea of human beings made good and perfect in God's image, but twisted and fractured in Genesis 3 makes a lot of sense when I look out at the world. And it makes a lot of sense when I look inward inside of myself. Because you guys, I would love to live a perfect day, but I don't have many of those on record, <laughs> okay? As much as I want to, somehow in me there is this thing that's fractured and broken, and I would love to be able to be like, you know what, if all the evil that's out there and people like Hitler or Putin or what, like whatever you want to fill in the blank with, um, no, it's not externalized, it's internalized. I have a problem where I'm broken and fractured, and I don't, I don't know how to get past that. That's the part of our creation story. Well, what does God do in that moment when we're broken and fractured? Does he wipe his hands of us? Done with you. No. The Old Testament, as we keep going, we see him continuing to reach out to his people. This, that little, is, is weird. It's like a little speech bubble with a baby in it, okay? But that's, that's supposed to represent Abraham because he, he gives Abraham the promise of this baby. The, and Abraham's old, so it's a crazy, miraculous promise. But he's like, you're going to be the parent of generation after generation. My promise will come through you he tells Abraham. He says the same thing to Moses when he speaks out the law. He makes a covenant with his people. God doesn't just wash his hands of humanity. No, he comes after them. He gives them prophets to speak on his behalf. He continues to do miracles. He continues to feed and take care of his people. And all the way along, he's, he's prophesying. So this next, this next one that I have covers a ton of scripture. That's the kings and the prophets. But he's also prophesying that there's going to be a Messiah one day who will make the wrongs right, who will become a bridge to bring us back to the Father in a very different way. And that's Jesus himself. So when we start into the New Testament, we see Jesus' life and his ministry. Most of where we're studying this semester will be in the life of Jesus. Where we'll be at tonight in Luke 5 is in the life of Jesus. And then Jesus is killed and resurrected, raises from the dead, and then just a few weeks later we have Pentecost, and that's where the Holy Spirit is given as a gift, God's enduring presence with his people. And that ushers in one final age, the age that we're in now, and we have been for a couple thousand years. We would call it the age of the church or the age of grace, the age of the new covenant. And it's just this space where we live out the mission of God on this planet, empowered and rescued by him. And the only thing that's left, you guys, is for Christ to come and for there to be, oops, am I still going here? For there to be a second garden. The end looks a lot like the beginning. Perfection. He calls us to be with him and all the wrongs are righted. And that is the story of Scripture. So as I'm preaching in these different verses, you'll see different icons light up because I want you to know where I'm at in Scripture. Sometimes Jesus will talk about Moses. And so I get... I actually love to just, you know, take and light up all the icons I can that are showing you where these different scriptures talk with each other and agree with each other. And it's all the stuff that we're doing is part of this grander story. You guys, it's so beautiful, the way that this all really works together. And all of that was lost on me. Even though I was around the church, all of that was lost on me because I didn't really understand how that story fit together. They all seemed disjointed. But when you stand back, there's this beautiful picture that's there. So if you were around last week, I talked about how uh, God has power over the natural world, <laughs> and Jesus makes no secret that he's attached to this. I mean, people love to, to try to talk about Jesus as if he was just a good teacher. He wasn't just a good teacher, you guys. He claimed to be God. This is the text right before the text I'm going to read tonight. 
I just wanted you to hear it. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah. See how I've got those two little icons lit up, right? Because we're in the life of Jesus, but he's referencing Isaiah, who was one of the prophets in the Old Testament. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. This is Jesus. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. So this is written 720 years, I think, before. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's Isaiah's prophecy that someday somebody's going to come along and do all of that stuff. It's been around for seven centuries. And here's what Jesus says He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Does it sound like he's hiding? Hey, you remember what the prophet said about the Messiah that was to come? Let me read it to you. And by the way, today, this is fulfilled right now as you hear it. And everybody's like, oh. And if that isn't clear enough for you, let me just give you John. I and the Father are one. Can he say it more clearly than that? Jesus was very clear about who he was and his relationship with the Father. And so this is the beginning. This is the beginning of, uh, I, it's of his ministry, of him getting very famous very quickly. I referenced a few weeks ago the moment with the Samaritan woman where he, uh, he's meeting with the Samaritan woman, and she's, I'll just read parts of it. I have it here in my notes. Jesus is talking to her and says, everyone who drinks of this water, meaning the physical water that's right in front of them, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Just a few verses later, Jesus, or she says, The woman says, I know the Messiah is coming, and Jesus responds with, I who am speaking to you am he. So again, he's not making it a secret. He's coming out and saying, I have a different kind of water, a living water, spiritual water for you to drink. I am the Messiah that is to come. And so as he's out here doing all of these different miracles, he is announcing, I am the source of this new living water that you get to drink. And so as I was thinking about that this week, um, I had the experience, years ago I would take uh, a group of guys on, on like a camping, climbing, canoeing trip from here. And one of the times, we would go down around Eminence, Missouri. One of the times we visited this place called Blue Spring. Okay, I think I have a picture of it here. I do. Blue Spring in Eminence, Missouri. We don't have springs around here, and I don't know if you've ever visited a spring, but they're insane. I mean, this spring, is, any of you familiar with the Current River in Missouri? Handful of you familiar with it? This is one of the places the Current River starts. It just flows out of the ground from this rock. 90 million gallons of water a day come out of that spot. It's over 300 feet deep, just right there. You could put the Statue of Liberty, drop it in there, and it would be five feet underwater at the top of it. Just that little pool right there. And so it's really odd to stand in this place where it just looks like a little pond, but there's a river that continues out of it. And you're like, where is it? Like, this, this isn't Illinois. This isn't the way Illinois works. Where is all this water coming from? This is insane. 
And when Jesus is talking to her and he's saying, I am the source, I am the source of a different kind of water, this, it's like this is what he's talking about. I am a wellspring of something that you aren't familiar with, that spiritually satisfies you. And so as he begins to prove this, you guys, as he is walking around and healing people and blind people are seeing and paralyzed people are walking and no one, like, no one can deny that this spring must be real that sits in Jesus just flowing out of him, he starts to get famous real fast. It becomes the Jesus show. People coming from miles around, they won't leave him alone. And earlier in Luke 5, it says that crowds are starting to come often, and Jesus is sometimes escaping to quiet and lonely places so he can get alone and be with his Father. Jesus is having to escape the crowds to get alone and pray. That's the context of the ministry. And then we get to Luke 5, our text tonight, the miracle that we're in for this week. It's so good. And by the way, this is almost like miracle inception, all right? There's three miracles in this text. See if you can identify them. One day, while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of the religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof and took off some tiles. And then they lowered the sick man on his mat into the crowd right in front of Jesus. And seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, Young man, your sins are forgiven. Miracle number one. But the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law said to themselves, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Okay? (laughs) Correct. He is claiming that. Jesus knew what they were thinking, miracle two, perceived their thoughts. So he asks them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I'll prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, we have seen amazing things today. (laughs) Yeah, you have. Yes, you have seen amazing things today. All right, there's so much that's fun in this story. You could, like, and you could and maybe should spend all week thinking about this story. But, but first, let me just bring you into the story. First of all, paralyzed man. I tried to get my brain around what that would be like this week. I don't have much, like, firsthand. I, I had a shoulder surgery at one point, and they had to do a nerve block in my neck, which made my right arm just go completely dead for about 18 hours. That's the closest I've ever come to understanding paralysis. This was not a part of my body during that time. There was seriously a moment where I was sitting in my chair, and my, I had set, I had to pick up my arm and move it places, okay? And I had set it over here, and I was reaching, and I felt something like here, like my, my eye line is here, and I felt something, and I was like, that's warm, what is that? And I looked down, and it's my arm that had moved over. Like, this hand could feel this arm. This arm couldn't feel that this hand. I I could feel that it was warm with this hand, but there was no sensation. Just all the nerves were gone from here down. I can't imagine what that would be like to be in your whole body. 
I had a good friend with muscular dystrophy. That's, that's not quite the same thing. It's not quite paralysis, but he, uh, over the course of his life, he slowly lost control over his muscles. And so most of the time that I knew him and hung out with him, he had very little control, um, was in a wheelchair and couldn't control his arms or his legs during that time. What would that be like? To be completely dependent on someone else for, especially in this age of human history, to be completely dependent on other people for, for everything about you. Can you imagine that? I mean, I remember when I was a kid, um, Christopher Reeves was Superman. And I, I don't remember exactly when it happened, but I think I was in my 20s when he had a horseback accident and he became, he, he, he was paralyzed. And that was, that was shocking to everybody. This, was, this would be like Henry Cavill falling off a horse and being paralyzed for the rest of his life. And you'd be like, what? That's Superman. That's what it was like for us. And thinking about what it was like for this man who had to be carried around by his friends. These are small communities. Everybody knew who that guy was. I was thinking in the story about this, this teaching moment with Jesus. It was a crowd like we are tonight. And suddenly, I mean, there's, there's these roofs are made of tile and mud and stuff. And this wasn't fast. I mean, have you ever gotten a group together to do anything? These guys ripped stuff off. I mean, Jesus is full on on teaching mode. Sprinkle, sprinkle. Noise, noise, more dust, debris, sticks, mud, tiles falling through, and Jesus is like, all right, it's happening. So he stands back, waits for these guys. They're lowering this guy down. It's going too fast on one side, and they're like, stop, 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 you're going to drop him, and then that side stops, and then that other side catches up, and finally they lay this guy down in front of Jesus. And what's, I mean, everybody in the room is there because he's been doing miraculous things. They obviously want to see this guy walk. And what does Jesus do? This is the main thing. You guys, I need you to see this tonight. What does Jesus do? He gets down and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Wah, wah. What a letdown. But pay attention to that. Why would Jesus say that? He knows why they're there. Is he trying to mess with the Pharisees? No. Is he trying to mess with this guy or the friends? No. You guys, he's meeting the most important need first. Jesus looks at this man's spiritual reality, and he's like, I can give him water. I can heal his legs, or I can give him living water that his soul absolutely needs, and I can heal his sin that sits in him. Jesus sees the difference between the physical need and the spiritual need, and to him, the spiritual need is more real than the physical one. The spiritual need is more impending. It's like, this is the one that needs to be taken care of right now. And it's interesting because, I mean, the reason why it's sort of a wah-wah is because we want to see the external miracle. We want to look at that, and we want to see the Jesus show, right? And even to the Pharisees, he says, which is easier? I mean, I can say your sins are forgiven. It doesn't mean they are because I say it. I mean, it's, so Jesus, in their eyes, it's a cop-out move to say your sins are forgiven because anyone can say it. But you saw in the text, he said, hey, so that you know I have authority to do the first miracle, here's a second. Get up, take your mat, and walk home. And he does. He does jump up, it says, and he takes his mat. So 
I want you to understand that this spiritual need sits out there. We often see the physical world, like I can see my body, my arms and my legs, and those feel very real to me, and the spiritual world feels very ethereal. Listen, you are both woven together. I love this quote by George MacDonald. It says, you do not have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. Now, I don't know if George MacDonald has gotten 100% right, <laughs> because I think it's both. I definitely think it's both. But I love the play on words he's trying to grab at here, this idea that you think of yourself as just a body, but you guys, your body is mortal. What sits beyond that? Who are you beyond that? Jesus believes that you have a spiritual need that is more important than the physical need that sits in your life. Do you see that? So we don't want to take that too far. I mean, it, throughout Christian history, people have done weird things with that idea. You know, the, the Gnostics believed that only the spiritual world was truly real, and so that everything physical in this world was bad and evil and ugly, and the spiritual things were great. As a matter of fact, they got to the point of not even believing that Jesus had a physical body, because that couldn't be true, because the physical world was evil. No, you guys, no, no, no. God created this world. It bears His image still. It's just fractured and flawed. You, you are good, but fractured and flawed. You still bear his image. The relationship that I have with my kids is good. You guys, I love my kids. I, playing with them, even though that's a physical activity, is honoring to God. You studying hard in your classes is honoring to God. You don't look at that and just be like, ah, that's evil, it's of the world. I'm reading my Bible is good, reading my textbooks is bad. It's like, no, that's not the way it works. If it isn't sin, it's holy because it belongs to him. It's his world that we live in. Again, that's been twisted, twisted and fractured and sits in that space. So the three things I want you to pull tonight, I'm going to race through the first couple too and I'm going to hit the third a little bit harder. One is you, my friends, and me, we're paralyzed. We're spiritually paralyzed. We are helpless this space of I cannot do these things for myself, that is my spiritual condition. And whether you gave your life over to Jesus and you recognized that 10 years ago or you've never done that, that is the condition that we live in where it's like I owe everything to Christ because he rescued me from that paralysis. He's the one who carried me. He is the source, the wellspring of life. He's the living water. I don't ever outgrow that. I don't ever get past that. That's why I can come into worship and sing those same ideas week after week after week because it's that wellspring I'm singing out of. Man, Jesus, you saved me. Thank you for doing that. I, you cannot get through this miracle without saying, man, I was the guy on the mat, paralyzed, incapable of rescuing myself. I wonder what it was like for him in that moment expectant for his legs to work, but hearing in that moment, son, your sins are forgiven. And to have that internal freedom followed by the external freedom, what a beautiful thing. The second thing I want you to hear tonight is that you are a friend to paralyzed people that need to be carried to the source. Did you hear the little tiny phrase in this passage where Jesus said he saw their faith he looked at the faith of the friends. Part of the healing that was, that was given, the miracle that happened in here, was because they were willing to take their friend and be like, hey, you know what would be crazy? If we picked him up on the mat and we took him up to the roof and we lowered him down. We don't even know if he was a willing participant. 
He may have been fighting him the whole way. You guys don't. 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 Stop. Like he's, that, that might have been what he was yelling as he's lowered and he hits the floor and he's like, I'm sorry. I got, this, was not, this was not my idea. Right? Some of you have friends like that. Okay, but in this space, I want to ask you what it's like to be carriers of others to the source. You know the source of life. How selfish would it be for you to be in a space where it's like, nah, that's mine. <laughs> that's my space. And I got to tell you guys, the more beautiful it is, the more beautiful that you understand that wellspring of life, the more that you want someone else to see it, the more that you want someone else to experience it. It kills me that when we think of how our culture views Christianity, a lot of the answers that we would get back are, well, they view Christians as judgy, they view Christians as mean, they view, they view God as a fairy tale, they view religion as a crutch. Fine. Prove them wrong with the hope and the joy and the love and the forgiveness and the grace and the transformation that exists in your life. Live a kind of life where it is really hard to argue with that, where somebody looks at you and is like, man, I'd love to hate you, but you're making it real hard on me, (laughs) really hard, because I'm watching the way that you forgive that person that doesn't deserve forgiveness. I'm watching the way you love somebody who doesn't deserve to be loved. I'm watching you give resources away that you barely have to give on your own. I'm watching you to live. I'm watching what should create anxiety come out as peace, and it doesn't make sense to me anymore. And you can be like, well, I can show you the spring. I can show you the living water. You can carry your friends to the gospel that way. That's the second point. I want to give you tonight. Blaise Pascal, who's a philosopher, said, there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God the Creator made known through Jesus Christ. Do you remember what Jesus said in that Isaiah passage that He fulfilled, that He came to proclaim good news, freedom to the captives, sight to the blind, freeing those who are oppressed? That's what He brought to bring. That's what He brought to the world. That was His goal to bring freedom not oppression. And so the idea is not, you're like, okay, Ben, you want me to invite him to encounter? Sure. I mean, I, I don't know if it's a bad idea, but I'm talking more about invite them into you, your life, your spaces, your world. You can invite them here, absolutely. We have those spaces, please do. But that's a cop-out. Invite them into your world. Pull them into your spaces. You have friends through you that can be drugged to Christ, brought to his feet. You can bring them to the living water. The third piece I want to give you tonight is this, and this has to do with our healing. Healing does not erase our scars. Did you notice in this moment, I find it very interesting that he says, pick up your mat and walk. This mat, you guys, represents, I mean, it had to be nasty. (laughs) The thing had to be nasty. He laid on this every day, had to reek. And he walks out holding it proudly. It represents everything that he used to be. It represents that infirmity and that paralysis that sat in his life. And Jesus is like, no, that goes out with you. Take it with you. Can you imagine him walking around with that? Dude, why you got a sleeping mat? Why are you carrying that with you? Oh, I used to be paralyzed. For the last 25 years, I've never left that thing till today. Cool, huh? This thing that represented his brokenness becomes a trophy 
It is his testimony. It is the thing that he gets to speak out of. And you guys, when God brings healing in our lives, those scars don't go away. Even in the resurrected Jesus, do you remember that he comes to Thomas and the resurrected body of Jesus, he's like, hey, Thomas, why don't you go ahead and put your finger in the scars? The scars are still there from the cross in the body of Jesus. Why do you think your life would be any different? So Jesus heals you of your own stuff. You grow up in a family, again, that is brutal and rough and manipulative and dark, and God brings healing and forgiveness into your life, and you walk around with some of those scars. And when people say, hey, what are those scars from? You say, hey, I get to testify. This is my testimony. These are my trophies that I wear. They point to a healing that I got. And so even our scars give worship. There is a beautiful form of art in Japan called kintsugi. And if I had room in my life to have yet one more hobby, it would be this one, but I don't. But let me just give you a short intro to it here. These are examples of kintsugi. You see, of the many titles that God has in Scripture, and there are many, uh, Redeemer is one, Restorer is one, this idea that he can take broken things again and make them beautiful. I, I want you guys to hear this. When I was little, I think I had this idea that being healed meant that those cracks didn't exist anymore. But I think I've outgrown that now, and I'm hoping you have too. And there's a side of Christianity where we aren't taught. Are we taught that God can restore and make things whole? Absolutely. But this is what wholeness looks like. Your fractures you continue to carry. As a matter of fact, they become that much more beautiful. 
God uses them in the lives of other people. That addiction for you becomes rescue for someone else. Joe and I, uh, we, we went to a church in Peoria on, I think, Wednesday last week and spoke to a high school uh, youth group about dating. We did a Q&A panel thing on dating. And I was able, you guys, to speak wisdom into, these, into, into this, that generation out of mistakes that I made when I was in high school. Stuff that God needed to redeem, stuff that God needed to restore, and how weird is it to sit with a group of people who are now in that same age group and say, hey, don't do this. Don't do this. God had to bring healing in my life because of this. I don't want you to do that anymore. And I don't have to hide it. I don't have to pretend that I did it all right because this, this is the picture. This is the picture of wholeness. Peter gets at this when he says this, After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. As God brings healing in your life, you guys, you don't have to hide the scars because the scars are your trophies. The scars are your testimonies. The healing that you find in Christ becomes the way that other people recognize that they will find healing too. And the more that you pretend you're perfect, the more people will be like, well, I I don't relate to that at all, at all. Or for that matter, the more that you are unchanged and untransformed, the more people will be like, well, I don't understand then, what are you preaching? The Christian life is one of transformation from the inside out, not the outside in. And when God begins to bring that kind of healing, the community around us begins to take notice. That has been the theme of our year, if you haven't picked up on that yet. What a beautiful, beautiful picture that God gives us there. Romans 8, 28. I don't have a lot of time for it tonight, but it's one of my favorite promises in Scripture. That God, for those who are called according to His purposes, this is who the promise is for. So if you're in here and you're a follower of Jesus, this promise is for you. He says that He can take all things and work them for good. No conditions. The only condition on that promise is that, if you lo- that it's for those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. But you name something in your past, and I tell you that God can transform it into His glory. He can restore it, He can redeem it, and He can turn it into something completely new because that's who He is and that's what He does. What was paralysis becomes your testimony. And the spiritual need takes priority over the physical need. Both are important but the one matters more than the other. I started this by talking about our larger story, right, that God is working through. Let's take a look at the very end. When he says that he will fully restore that picture in Revelation. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new.
Heavenly Father, forgive our naive ideas of newness, of restoration, of redemption. Thank you for the way that you paint gold into our fractures. Thank you for the way that you are a wellspring of healing. Thank you that you have forgiveness to offer in this room. God, thank you that there are hurts that you will minister to directly that nobody else can get at. Thank you that you care, Christ, about the anxiety that sits in this space, about the depression that sits in this space, about the self-harm, about the addiction, about the past, about unforgiveness. God, thank you that you find joy with us when we have joy. Thank you that you mourn with us when we mourn. Thank you for being a good dad and for giving us the promise to look forward to that all things will be made new. Pray that you'd help our scars to shine, Christ. In your name we pray. Thanks for listening. Find out more about Encounter and ways to get involved at isuencounter.org.